Welcome into the Wednesday Bible study. We are continuing today in the series, The Unsaved Christian, Reaching Cultural Christianity uh, with the Gospel. It is a book by Dean and Sarah, uh, pastor out of Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, and boy, I tell you, this one is continuing to, to stir a lot of emails and a lot of questions. And, and I think this is good. You know, uh, with the, really the reason why we're taking on this series is Paul telling us at, at the end of his letter to the church at Corinth, uh, where he's telling us to always examine ourselves and to see if we're even of the faith. Uh, examine ourselves with what it should look like for Christ to abide in our lives, according to Scripture, and then ask the uncomfortable question, do we pass the test? Remember, this was a church that Paul was writing to, and he saw a lot of open sin in the church, which he did not take lightly. And he was reminding these people of what we claim to believe. So here was a group of people meeting as a church uh, that Paul saw a lot of open sin, and he saw a lot of things that did not look uh, like people who had truly been redeemed by, by Christ. James, in the book of James, which we'll quote today, here he is talking to our church body. Uh, and James says, I see things going on in this church body that shouldn't be going on. Something's wrong. Uh, and then you know, there's the call for action for them to assess themselves. Submit to God, resist the devil, uh, come near to God, meaning they lost their way. So cultural Christianity uh, is extremely serious, and as I've told you, the reason why I hope that you can can you know take time if this is something that's starting to grind on you a little bit, and remember that I'm teaching this from the point that I once was a cultural Christian. I was delivered from cultural Christianity into true redemption and reconciliation uh, to a holy God. Through, through, through the price paid by Jesus on the cross, by repenting of my sins, turning away from sin, turning to Christ, submitting to His authority, acknowledging Him as Lord and Savior, uh, and then, of course, starting the process of sanctification that continues today. So we're going to jump into uh, another chapter. We may not take up the whole time today uh, because I, I don't want to get into the next chapter because I think the next chapter, chapter 6, it's probably going to be one of those that is going to push back a little bit, and there's going to be some discussion uh, that may take place, and I think it, it needs its own session, so we'll do that next week. But today we'll be talking about the unsaved Christian from the book. It is part four of the study as far as our YouTube archives and our podcast archives. However, it's actually chapter five from the book. So let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, thank you for today. May you be glorified. May you refine us. May you convict us. May you affirm us and give us the peace, Lord, that's only found in you. Special day today uh, because uh, if you're watching this live or listening to it on May the 27th, which is when this is uh, recorded or it's being broadcast now, uh, this is the day that my youngest son, William Bronner Burgess, was born. Uh, he was born 15 years ago today. Uh, and those of you that know uh, our family's story, you know that he went to be with the Lord uh, on January the 19th of 2008. Uh, but he was born today in 2005. And uh, it's been interesting, um, you know, all the different years and all the different markers for some of you out there who have, you know, buried your children or you have people that are dear to you, your spouse or, or whatever the case may be. You know these markers, you know, that they're used at, at different times for different things. And uh, believe it or not, on, on this one, I've been filled with gratitude. I really have. I'm not filled with sadness because I've seen what God has done through this, through the pain and suffering. Uh, it certainly has helped me uh, to be broken and to be weak so that I'm completely dependent on the Lord. Uh, but, but more than that, today I'm actually trying to be thankful 
for the fact that somebody as wretched as, as I am, uh, you know, just a wretched sinner uh, who was redeemed uh, through Christ uh, in the grace that God provided, and then through the faith of action of, of submitting to his authority, repenting of sin, somebody as wretched as I was and still am outside of, uh, you know, my righteousness found in Christ, to have been given such grace by God on a day like today, 15 years ago, that I could actually be with my wife and experience the joy of another son and of another child. Uh, it was a joyous day 15 years ago when William Bronner Burgess came into the world. Uh, Sherry and I had already had you know, four children, and we had been parenting for a while, and we kind of knew the deal, and, and Bronner's birth was uh, flawless, and it was joyous, and it was a celebration. And so I just want to publicly today thank you, Lord, uh, for allowing someone as wretched as me to actually have experienced something as joyous as the birth of Bronner 15 years ago today. Uh, and even though in my flawed view of life, I view his earthly life as short, you don't, Lord, uh, because I'm flawed and your will is perfect. Uh, so I submit to that and thank you for all you've taught me through it. Uh, so as we um, get ready to, to unpack this today, one programming note, if you're listening on Wednesday, Tomorrow night, themanchurch.com, we will do a webinar uh, tomorrow night. Uh, so that is free. All you have to do is, uh, is to sign up and join us. Uh, and uh, if you want to do that, go to rickandbubba.com, look at upcoming events. You'll see that uh, listed uh, for tomorrow, the 28th, 6.30 Central Time. Uh, and if you would like to, if you're a leader of men's ministry in your community or your church, uh, you can join us on the webinar at, at no charge. You can ask questions, and we'll walk through our discipleship strategy, and we'll teach you how to implement that uh, with the men of your community and the men of your church. So just go to rickandbubba.com, fill out the information. You'll be sent the link, and I'll be part of that, and we'll be talking to you tomorrow night. I'll be along with Andy Blanks uh, and also Michael Helms, uh, and we'll talk to you about the strategy. Look forward to that. All right, so let's talk about the Unsaved Christian Part 4. Uh, and what this one's called, uh, you know, the, the title of this is Overcoming Obstacles. These are barriers to reaching cultural Christians. Uh, it would also be barriers that are in the way of, uh, of you or me uh, acknowledging and coming to the conclusion that we are cultural Christians. Um, so we'll, we'll talk about some of those. It starts out in chapter 5 with a quote from George Swinnock. Thou mayest enjoy sermons, sacraments, Sabbaths, seasons of grace, uh, the society of saints, and yet miss at last of salvation. Basically saying a cultural Christian may believe a lot of things, may be around a lot of things that are tied to faith, uh, and you know, and may have an understanding of them, but still miss salvation altogether. I used to be this guy, so I understand it. So the pastor, Dean and Sarah, uh, is, is talking about uh, when, when, uh, when he was preaching a sermon and, and he decided to take this on uh, and preach this sermon, uh, and he said what he was trying to do is to, to rattle the people in the congregation by, by talking you know, about the different, he had chairs that represented the different you know, people that are in the church, and the third chair where he spent a great deal of his sermon was the chair that represented what he called falsely assured believers, the unsaved Christian. Now, I've had some people say, why does he call it an unsaved Christian? Well, it's a play on words. Yes, we acknowledge, as does Pastor and Sarah acknowledge, 
that there is no such thing as an unsaved Christian. Uh, a person who would fall in this category is no Christian at all. But, but what it is, it's talked about those that have a false assurance that they are Christians, but of course that isn't true. So anyway, um, so he's, he's talking about this, uh, and he represented that as, as the third chair. Uh, but he, it, he said it's really a form of, of being a Christian without Jesus, which is impossible as we know. So anyway, um, so he then gets into some of the barriers because he said he found it kind of strange. And, and, you know, I have a great respect for there's so many pastors out there and men of God that have meant so much to me. And um, so I, I, I remember hearing this from Ed Litton, who is you know, a great friend and a pastor in Mobile, Alabama. And I saw him put this on social media one day and I thought it was incredible. He said that he just finished a, um, a message, and I forget what it was on. I think it was something in the book of Romans. Um, and he said as he was leaving, he kept having people in the congregation coming up to him and telling him how much they enjoyed the sermon, to which he replied, well, you must not have been listening because <laughs> this was not a, a sermon for us to enjoy. It was actually a sermon that should have been quite convicting to all of us so if that was an enjoyable experience to you, you probably weren't listening. And then that brings up the question, how do you get someone to realize that the sermon was directed at them? Just, just like he said, I couldn't believe the number of people, and he had, he had friends who, who, who brought, he, he tells the story about a friend bringing a friend there that he thought was a cultural Christian. He thinks, oh, good, you know, he or she has heard this incredible message. They get back to work the next week, and the person that really uh, the sermon was intended for didn't get it. They didn't think it. They didn't think the sermon was talking to them. So how do you get someone to realize that it's uh, it's directed at them? And then we walk through some things in this chapter. Uh, one of them is one of the barriers if, is is a cultural Christian's belief system. It can actually be a barrier because, and we've talked about this a lot. Uh, the cultural Christian believes in God and they believe in heaven. So you, you, have to, you have to understand what cultural Christians actually believe because these beliefs can actually be a barrier uh, for you to reach them or to convince them uh, that they're in need of something they don't already have. Uh, so uh, that's one thing. The other thing, the cultural Christian, they're not atheists. They're not agnostics. We keep talking about that. Uh, they live, really, if you look at the cultural Christian, I was certainly this way, they live more like a theist but not a pure uh, theist or deist, meaning, you know, because the, the true deists uh, believe in, in God of some kind, but they don't, they don't know any real details about God, uh, but they do believe that he exists, but they know very little about him. He doesn't reveal himself. They don't understand what the role is between us and him, but yes, they acknowledge that there's a God. The cultural Christian isn't a pure deist or theist because the cultural Christian does believe certain details about God. So it's not exactly that way, but it, it leans that way because of, um, of the details. Even the details in and of themselves are not overly detailed. Does that make sense? So, so anyway, because they do believe, they do believe in Jesus. They believe that Jesus was born in Bethlehem. They don't, they don't doubt that. Uh, they think Mary, it, no doubt, was Jesus' mom. Uh, and you'll even see with a cultural Christian, I don't know if you've ever been to a cultural Christian's house, but a lot of times you'll see words like faith and You'll see words like hope, and there might even be a little crocheted Bible verse in the bathroom over the toilet, which I've, I've always thought was a weird place for Scripture, right over the toilet. But, but you know, it can be there. Uh, you know, there might be a little something 
you know, over here, you know, usually, you know, it, it, almost every time it's some of the same Bible verses, but you will see these things represented, and they'll even use words like faith and hope, and uh, they're going to put up a nativity every December. They're going to defend the nativity. They're going to have a little nativity in their house somewhere, might even have one in the yard. Uh, they're also going to uh, understand what Easter is about. Uh, they certainly will. You might even see them put a cross up in their yard, uh, something like this, and they understand what Easter is about. Uh, they, they know stories uh, that are in the Bible. Of course, they treat them a lot like stories, uh, but they, they've heard about David and Goliath, and you know they've heard about Moses in the Red Sea, and and, and, and they know these things, and they're aware of these things. They don't doubt these things. They're, they're not against these things. But then you get to the book of James that I just mentioned, and I remember this was the book that was used to rattle me out of my cultural Christianity. And, and, in, and in the book of James, James isn't impressed at all with this kind of belief system, as he says in James 2, 19, you believe that God is one, good meaning you believe in the Trinity, you believe the concepts of God, good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. So James isn't impressed with knowledge of Christian facts alone. What James was looking for, and he makes this pretty clear, and you hear me talk about this a lot too, because it's something I had to learn, because we are saved by grace through faith, by grace through faith. But this faith is a faith of action. And this is what James was looking for. Uh, one that would compel people to actually respond to Jesus with works. Now, now I'm not saying the works earn salvation, but James says that, that, that if you've truly encountered uh, Jesus Christ and you have God's seed, the Holy Spirit, abiding in your spirit, that, that faith is a faith of action. It will compel you to then produce good works. If you love me, obey my commands. If you're connected to the true vine, that produces fruitfulness. So, so there is action, not just a knowledge of biblical facts that don't really change anything about you. You, know, you, you, you don't really do anything other than just believe. And, and so if that's the case, then James, as we've talked about this many times, and I remember when it hit me like a ton of bricks, uh, he calls this faith, cultural Christianity, uh, the faith of a demon. If you just believe facts about God and facts about Jesus and facts about the gospel, you know you you just have knowledge of all this. They have all that knowledge as well. Um, so so he said a faith that does not compel us to live for Christ. James says that's a faith that's dead. That's that's not a faith that's alive at all. That's a dead faith. So so then we would have to look at ourselves and then we'd have to help other people. Like, like uh, I ran into last week uh, when I was dealing with a cultural Christian that was living in perpetual sin, just like I used to, okay? And when he said that he was saved, I said, based on what? And this person could not tell me much about it. Uh, they didn't really understand how they were saved. They just knew they were, and the first thing the person said was, well, I believe in Jesus. Well, so did the demons. So, so, so anyway, so... So James is talking about this. There should be something happening that is the work of Christ. You know, what, what really we're saying is, back to what Dean and Sarah said back in his sermon at the beginning of this chapter, if there's no change, if nothing has, no action has taken place, you haven't been compelled by something bigger than you to change the way that you live, then that means Jesus doesn't have the ability to change you. And we all know that's not true. The Holy Spirit 
shouldn't even have the word holy in it. Don't know why that's in there. It's descriptive, meaning that, that this spirit will make us holy. And if that hasn't happened, then something is going on. So here was a question I, I love that Pastor uh, and Sarah said. He said, I wonder when James was making these statements from the pulpit if people called him extreme. Can you imagine in some of the modern-day Western churches if somebody like James or the Apostle Paul or Peter or John the Baptist got up in the pulpit and began to preach? Uh, John, can you imagine? I doubt very seriously that everybody said, well, I tell you, James is just kind of being extreme about all this. But you start this kind of preaching today, and you'll be called extreme. But he made the comparison between demonic faith and a true faith. Uh, and he certainly wasn't called extreme. Uh, it's difficult to point people to their need to trust Christ when they already believe the basic facts about him. I thought that was a great statement from the book. It is difficult to point people to their need to trust Christ when they already believe the basic facts about him. I've run into this before, it, it, and I was an issue about this. People come talking to me, I'm like, I believe all that. What are you talking about? I'm a Christian. I believe everything you're supposed to believe. Um, of course, you know. then when finally somebody took it a step further, which I wish would have happened sooner in my life, when my mother was the first person to say, I question your salvation. Uh, then it was the pastor in my premarital, premarital counseling uh, when I was going, about to marry Sherry. He was the one that said, I'm going to have to point to the way you're actually living, and then let me force you to ask a question. How can Jesus be Lord over this? And these were all legitimate points. Um, and, and so that's really the way to approach, like we talked about last week, Take things that, that Christian cultural Christians already believe and use those things against them. Here, you believe the Bible? Let me tell you what the Bible says. Um, and, and that's one way to go because saying that, that, if you ever suggest that a cultural Christian doesn't believe the right things uh, or doesn't have knowledge about certain biblical things, you're going to run into a, a wall. Uh, I, I was in a situation before with a cultural Christian, and everybody was, uh, there were some people there that had been like similar to what I went through. And they talked about being redeemed and experiencing true salvation and how it was part of their culture, but it really didn't change them. And everybody's giving these testimonies about this, 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 this. And it comes around to, the, to, to one of the people, and they were like, well, you know, and we'll talk about this in a minute. I went for it as a kid and uh, said a prayer and got baptized, and I've been pretty much good ever since. And see, I knew the person, so I knew that wasn't true. Now, I'm not, I wouldn't question their salvation, but that was concerning that they would use the word, I'm good, and I pretty much got it. I've pretty much been, been fine ever since. When I knew things about their life that, that would tell me immediately that wasn't true. Uh, may, maybe they're just stumbles, but this, there was even no acknowledgement of stumbles, which I thought that was, that was kind of a red flag. But anyway, so understand that, uh, that, that one of the difficulties that cultural Christians have is they say, I already have the knowledge, and I believe these basic facts, but James wasn't afraid to go there by claiming that the demons also believe these basic things. Believing in God does not make one a Christian. It just doesn't. So belief can be a barrier. The next one he talked about that can be a barrier to reaching a cultural Christian or by acknowledging that you are, or I may be, a cultural Christian, is our values. Values, values. We hear about values, family values, 
values. Hey, I, hey, have good values. And this is the thing you run into of this concept that good people go to heaven. Good people go to heaven. The, the only problem is that there, there aren't any. The Bible tells us that, and, and uh, Dean and Sarah talks about this. We'll get into it. This is the theology of many people. They think that their values send them to a place where they're going to wear white and they're going to be in the clouds and they're going to see their loved ones. That's, that's really the concept that a lot of cultural Christians have about heaven. I'll wear some white outfit, I'll be in the clouds, and I'm going to go see my meemaw or go see my loved ones. Uh, and that's heaven to me. Well, the Bible says a lot of things deeper than that uh, about heaven, but that's kind of the way they see it. And, and this, of course, it, this is what you're going to love. This is pride, if you think about it. Anybody that thinks they're a good person has an issue right immediately with the sin of pride. Because compared to a holy God, and by the way, comparing ourselves to other people isn't the standard. It's comparing ourselves to God and our need of redemption. Uh, that, that's the problem because they believe as good moral people uh, that, uh, that, that that can function as the, as the chief end of one's family. And you know, we've all been around these people. What, what's, what, what's the instruction for your family? Hey, let's be good people. How do, you, how do we do that? Well, you know what I mean. Let's, let's have values. Let's try to be honest. And, and let's, let's, let's just work hard, be hard workers, and, you know, take care of people. And, and uh, you know, it just, you know let's, let's just try to, try, to be good. Let's try to be good people, not be like some of these other people. You know, just try to do good things. And they think that's the end all, that, that that's it. Needing to be forgiven for sin for the cultural Christian is usually irrelevant. They, they really don't see a need because they're such good people and they, they have such good family values and they're on the right side of, you know, most things morally. Uh, now, they may, they may have, and, and see, they, can't, they don't seem to look into their life like the person I was talking about and see that they're really quite wretched when you consider the holiness of God. But they don't see it that way. Uh, they don't think they've really done a lot they have to be forgiven for. They, they go to heaven because they have lived in line with their family values, and they've raised some nice kids. So what's going to send you to heaven? Well, you know, I've, I've tried to live a good life. I've tried to be a good person. And uh, look at my kids. I've raised some pretty nice kids. Well, that's not, that's not the gospel. Certainly, uh, I guess, a great societal thing, but that's not the gospel. Uh, Now, the gospel says that that, that we're all wretched, and what this is really is a salvation by works is what they're talking about. But then we know, though, that that, that God really doesn't factor in as far as the details. So are y'all God-fearing people that live under the authority of Christ? Uh, uh, Do you get on your face and cry, holy, 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 Uh, and, and are you thankful? that because you were such wretched sinners compared to the holiness of God, that you were redeemed, that God came to you when you couldn't come to him, and, and you need a savior because you need to be saved from, from, from sin and the severity of sin that is in your life, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. The only way anybody looks into their life and they don't see any need for redemption or any need for forgiveness is they're taking a very broad, general look at their life. I promise you that. But if you ask them what defines a good person according to God or Scripture, you don't get any real detailed answers. It's always very broad answers. You know, we, hey, we just, I'm a good old boy. 
you know, got you know good old kids and 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 a good old wife and good old this and good old that. Uh, but you ask for details. What what makes you good? They really don't give you much answers other than these broad things. They think that they are on the nice list. Really, a cultural Christian really looks at God sometimes like Santa Claus. I just don't want to be on the naughty list. Well, what, what puts you on the naughty list? Well, I mean the big stuff. Big, you got to be bad to be on the naughty list. I I think I'm on the good list with God. Look at me over here with the good list. I'm you know I'm not as I'm not as horrible as some of these other people I know. I mean I've never been divorced. I've uh, I've never you know n- never really been out to done anything really bad. Never stole anything. Um, uh, I, I've never done this, never done that. You know, I'm a hard worker. Yeah, but yeah, but it's 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 it's. I'm glad those things haven't happened. But you're still in equal need of redemption, whether you acknowledge it or not, because Scripture says that. So every cultural Christian believes they're on the good list. Have you ever noticed that? It's kind of like what I, I have some fun one time. Uh, I, I do this and I do these jokes. And let me be clear. I don't want to get in some of the theological things, and, and I know, but, but and sometimes you can't help it. You veer into some of it. And look, it is important for some of these things, but I'm talking about the secondary issues. But for instance, I've never met a person uh, who was a hyper-Calvinist, never. I've never met one that says, I believe in pure, I mean, total predestiny and election. I believe in it completely. I don't believe there's anything in the in this in any way, shape, or form. I don't believe in that dance of free will and God's providence and sovereignty. I believe, you know, er, there were people before they were ever born, and the, these people are going to heaven, and some people are going to hell. I believe people are predestined to hell. I believe people are predestined to heaven. And, uh, and when they were woven together in their mother's womb, I've never met one of those persons that doesn't believe they're the ones going to heaven. Never. Now, look. I'll run into somebody that believes that in its purest sense and says, and I don't think I made it. Well, now, that's sticking to your principles. But isn't it convenient that everybody who believes that we were either predestined to heaven or hell before we were ever born, that those people always believe they were predestined for heaven? But you'll find this with the cultural Christian. They're always on the nice list. They're, they're always in good standing with God. But Romans 3.10 disagrees with that. I mean, Romans 3.10 is, I mean, Paul really, really drives this point home in Romans 3.10 by saying what? That none of us are good. Uh, no, not one. Let's, let's read it from Scripture. So here's what Paul says in, uh, in verse 10. Uh, as it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside together. They have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Uh, the throat, uh, Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asp is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Well, my goodness, uh, it, it looks like Paul is, is laying down that uh, through various psalms in the Old Testament, that God has already gone on record that nobody's good, not compared to him. So what they're doing is they're saying, well, I'm not saying I'm good compared to the standard of Scripture. You know, the cultural Christian disagrees uh, that, that no one is righteous, that no, not one, because their cultural Christians 
they, they don't think in things of the righteous and the unrighteous. They don't think that way. What they think of is, I'm a good person in terms of the definition by my Western standards. According to American Western standards, I'm pretty good. Yeah, but the Bible doesn't talk about Western standards. The Bible talks about righteous and unrighteous. Well, I don't see things that way, and the cultural Christian doesn't. So that can be a barrier to reaching them or coming to the conclusion that you are a cultural Christian. What's next? What else stands in the way? Heritage. Heritage. Our heritage. Cultural Christians are usually, uh, you know, they're, they're usually a generation or two removed from a gospel-believing Christian. How are you a Christian? Because of my grandmother. My family have all been Christians. Or you might be a one-generation Christian. Or my parents were Christians, so that, that of course, makes me uh, a, a Christian. Heritage of faith in a family can easily be confused with saving faith, faith in Christ. That's a good statement. Let's say that again. Heritage of faith in the family can easily be confused with saving faith in Christ. Hey, let me tell you this. God did not say, that he has sinful man who has chosen to turn away from him and to rebel against him, and the only way for me to save you is through your family. That's not what Scripture says. The only way to save you and the only way to save me is for is through Christ, not my family. My grandmother, I promise you, is, is has received a well-done, good and faithful servant, but I cannot get to heaven through Margaret Burgess. Okay, I thought that for a while. I'm, I'm part of a good Christian family. I must be fine. No? And you know what? You, be, you better check your children, uh, Christian parent who's watching this or listening to this. Be real careful because if you haven't sat down and laid out what this really looks like to your children, there's a lot of children out there that think they're saved because you may be. And you need to clarify that. So heritage can be a problem. Uh, the faith of, 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 a, of a grandparent is respected. Nothing wrong with that but may be viewed as extreme by the younger generation of the family. So, so here's what happens. What, so then what they do is they try to ride the, ride the coattails of a reverent family member and adopt more of a comfortable, casual form of that faith. Yeah, I mean, my, I thought this right here. Look, if you can't see me, if you're listening to this instead of watching it, I'm pointing to me. I had this attitude. You know what I thought? My grandmother is extreme. She's radical. Well, yes, she was, Rick, because that's real faith. She goes to church like on a regular basis. She'll even go on Sunday nights. I can remember us being at her house, and her deal was, y'all come and go to church with me because that's where I'm going. And you know what we would do? We would leave and go home. Oh, boy, she's a radical. So what did I do? Exactly what this book talks about. I adopted a more casual, comfortable version of the faith of my grandmother, my dad. Uh, adopted a more comfortable, casual form of faith than his mother because his mother and my grandmother was radical. But the more that I've studied Scripture and the more I've looked at Scripture, my dad and I were wrong and my grandmother was right. So, But, what, but then you kind of hang on to those coattails. Now, praise the Lord, my dad and I have both figured this out and we have been truly redeemed in a true faith uh, in Christ, but I got to tell you, for the longest, I thought my grandmother was was over the line. Well, she's right. What, 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 what a radical! But really, she was devoted to Christ, is what she was, uh, and she lived her faith out, and she impacted others and pointed them to Jesus. Unlike me, until I discovered 
that actually what my grandmother was doing, here's a, here's a bizarre concept, was living out a true faith. She didn't do these things to earn her salvation. She did these things because of her salvation. And I didn't do them because of my lack of salvation. So that's the thing that you have to watch out with this heritage stuff. God doesn't have grandchildren. Boy, when I read that, I thought, whoa. I almost pushed back. And, but it's true. Scripture doesn't say that. Uh, your grandparents, our parents' faith will not get us to heaven. I, I can't get to heaven through Meemaw's faith or my mother's faith or my dad's. God has children, and they are brought about through faith in Christ. But look at this. Uh, Gospel of John, we studied it. Gospel of John, chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Listen to what Scripture actually says. It doesn't say anything about grandchildren. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, talking about Jesus, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So God gave us the right to become his children. He doesn't have any grandchildren. Everybody has to become his child because nobody can be his grandchild. And, uh, and that has to be understood because a legacy of faith should be celebrated. It absolutely should be celebrated. But faith that is inherited is not a saving faith at all. Let me say that again. Your family may have a legacy of faith, and that should be celebrated. But if your faith is only inherited from your family, then you don't have a faith at all. Maybe that's a wake-up call for somebody today. Uh, I know it was for me. So don't let it become a barrier. Cultural Christians have an issue here. It's common for one to see himself as being born into Christianity rather than really being born again. Say that again. The problem with heritage and thinking you're right on the coattail, coattails of your family's faith is that you get to the point where you think that you were born into Christianity, which means what? You never took the time to be born again. Listen, you, weren't, you were not born into Christianity. I know, I know there's some theology out there. Well, how, how are you a Christian? Well, I was born into a Christian family. No, no, that's hogwash. I don't know who told you that. That's not faith. That's not how one is redeemed. Uh, so, so that can be an issue. The next thing that can be a barrier that stands in the way of reaching a cultural Christian or by assessing whether or not you are, or I am a cultural Christian, the famous rites of passage. Rites of passage. Now, this is the one, if you, you read, have read the book, uh, Pastor Dean and Sarah says that he was shocked when somebody came into him excited and said their kid was about to be baptized. And he'd never seen this person grace the door of a church and he knew these people did not live a life that, that reflected redemption. He was shocked that they were taking the time to baptize their kid and, and what this was all about. And he talked about how you want to pick time and place to say these kinds of things. So, so here are some things that, that can be barriers to reaching a cultural Christian or by assessing whether you, we are one or not. Some of the rites of passage that can be stumbling blocks, infant baptism, which you'll find nowhere in Scripture, uh, I, the, the people who've tried to justify that, all they do is use examples of, the, of, of talking about if someone was redeemed and then they would say, well, your whole, then the whole house became redeemed. Well, whole house, Rick, that means there had to be babies there. Well, the Bible didn't say that. I, where, where are you coming up with that? Uh, now, if you, if, you know, we can get into the, the, the discussion, and certainly I've lived into my own life, about 
age of accountability and what happens to people that before they're old enough to understand their right hand from their left, we can have that discussion. But no one is redeemed that lives to adulthood because they were baptized as a baby. And that can be a false security uh, uh, for, for people. First communion, that doesn't save anybody. As a matter of fact, Scripture says if you're not saved, you shouldn't be taking communion. Uh, I, I have a friend of mine that talked about that moment when they were living as a young adult and they went back to go to church with their parents who were, who were devout Christians and they gave time for communion and they were passing around the, the elements of the Lord's Supper uh, and he didn't take it. And he said it was, a, it was a real sad moment for my dad because this man knew he was not living as a follower of Christ and he knew that Scripture forbid him to take the Lord's Supper uh, because he could, I mean, he could bring a curse on himself from God. Uh, and so he just passed the elements on to his father. And his father's eyes, and, and he met, and in that moment his father knew that his son uh, was not living out the faith or maybe was not of the faith. Uh, so certainly First Communion doesn't save anybody. Confirmation doesn't save anybody. Um, baptism by immersion, if you're a child, if you didn't understand redemption, they could dunk you in that water all day long. Uh, I had that happen. I was baptized twice by water before I was redeemed. Um, uh, you know, and, and, and I'm going to be careful with the next one. Saying a sinner's prayer uh, does not deem one redeemed. I did that as well as a child. And let me be clear. I'm a little bit different than some. I know it's becoming mod out there to, to, to say detrimental things about the sinner's prayer or this prayer doesn't do this and why are we doing this prayer and, and this is some superstition that's not even in the Bible. I say, I take issue with that. I disagree with that. Now, what I do agree with is these words don't save you. I do agree with that. Uh, but I do not, I'm not part of this because when people say you got to be careful, but we always go too far. Sinner's prayer is nowhere in the Bible. Well, yes, it is. Now, now, you don't have a place where you turn to verse so-and-so and so-and-so, and it says, now we turn to the sinner's prayer. But the things that are found in what some people have named the sinner's prayer, are these are just people saying, here's what the Bible said you should do. Now, it's a heart issue. It's not a word issue. That I totally agree with. But it's almost become odd. If you want to have fun with those that take the sinner's prayer and, uh, and they're always making fun of it or saying it's not in the Bible or some superstition or whatever, ask them how somebody does get saved. Ask them that. And, and sometimes they'll, they'll, they won't have an answer for you. Okay, I understand what you're saying. So, so if, I'm not, if, I'm, if, these, if the, sinner prayers, the sinner's prayer and these elements don't tell me what the Bible says about redemption, so how am I supposed to be saved? And then they'll, if, they, if, they're, if they know, they'll say things like, well, you got to repent. Okay, you talking about like we talk about in the sinner's prayer? Uh, you gotta you gotta believe in your heart, and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Oh, you talking about Romans like Romans ten nine and ten? Uh, you you do you believe that Jesus paid the price for you on the cross? You mean like Romans ten nine and ten? Um, yeah. So in other words, you you're saying that I need to repent of sin. I need to confess Christ as Lord and believe that He was raised on the third day and believe that He paid the price on the cross and that I need to have faith in that, and I need to submit, resist the devil, come near to God, and, 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 and ask for redemption and reconciliation? Yeah, that's what I mean. So how do I know if I'm saved? Well, if you really meant it in your heart, and we'll see the results of it by the way you live your life. You mean kind of like this thing they keep telling me about, about this prayer that has these same elements in it? So I'm not anti a time of response. I'm not even anti-instructing 
people on what they need to do to be saved according to Scripture. Now, I am against, I said some words, so now, so now I'm saved. Com I completely agree with that. That is not redemption. Because ha that happened in my own life. I said a prayer, I got baptized. When I didn't understand redemption, I didn't understand repentance, I didn't understand the severity of sin, I didn't understand coming under the authority of Christ, I stayed under my own authority. So I certainly understand how that can, can be a false assurance of faith because I had it in my own life. But I'm not out saying that this shouldn't be done or it isn't in the Bible because the elements of it absolutely are in the Bible and it's what the Bible says about redemption. So be careful about that. Uh, but yes, true, the words do not save you. That is completely true. If there isn't a clear understanding of the conversion, then these are all just false assurances and uh, these things do not place us in good standing with God. Rites of passage do not place us in good standing with God. Only repentance, only redemption, only reconciliation uh, through the price paid on the cross and believing in our heart, confessing with our mouth, Romans 10, 9, 10, that Jesus Christ is Lord, turning from sin and turning to God as a wretched sinner and asking to be saved. And... Um, and then whether that's sincere or not will be shown what? In your life. How do you know when somebody's saved, Rick? According to Scripture, by the way they live their life. Oh, so they're trying to, good works, huh? No, the result of salvation. So things that, that are problematic for us, and we've, we've gone through, and let me review, and then we'll, then we'll end. Our belief system can be a barrier. Our values can be a barrier. Our heritage can be a barrier. Rites of passage can be a barrier. What else? Ignorance. Ignorance. I, I just don't know what I'm talking about. I, I don't know Scripture. I don't understand the gospel. I don't know what's going on. Many cultural Christians simply don't know the difference between what they believe and true Christianity. The only difference they detect with their Christian friends, meaning people who are truly been redeemed, and I've seen this, the only difference that they detect with their Christian friends is that their Christian friends are just really into church, are very religious. Are you, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or you mean like so-and-so? Well, he's really into church, and he's a, he's a little more religious than I am. No, what you may be seeing, like we said before, while we make fun of things like this by calling people holy rollers, self-righteous, holier than thou, these are things that we've come up with, the cultural Christians like I used to be. I used those things because I didn't like that the standard had been raised by people who were actually followers of Jesus. And the cultural Christian, you'll find, will always explain his or her uh, lack of fruit, lack of holiness, lack of commitment, lack of devotion. They'll always play it off as, I'm devoted enough they're just a little more devoted, but we're equal in our standing with God. This happens a lot. This comes from ignorance again. Uh, when it comes to the need to believe the gospel and repent, it may be they don't know because they've never been told. Uh, some, you know why we got a lot of cultural Christians in this country? A lot of it rests on the kind of preaching that's coming from the pulpit in a lot of Western churches. When was the last time that you heard a message in your church I hope, I hope you say, Rick, I hear it all the time, about the so severity of sin and the need of repentance. It, it doesn't get preached a whole lot. The reason why cultural Christianity is so palatable is a lot of it comes from what you take away. I, I can remember when Sherry and I first started visiting churches, we moved to, uh, to a new city, 
And I can't tell you the number of times we would go home and she said, what did you think about that? I said, I felt like I was at a self-help class. Uh, you know, we're, we're doing life together, all this stuff. You know, it, I felt like we were sitting around talking about ways to, to go out and try to find a way to get some self-help uh, and maybe some principles or philosophies for life. But I didn't feel like that I was confronted with the gospel at all. And so some of it has to do with a lot of places these cultural Christians go, they're made to feel perfectly comfortable. And you know what? They're, they're falsely assured that they're fine. That's part of it. Uh, ignorance, again. Cultural Christians may not know the difference because uh, the difference between the mainline Protestant church they attend on holidays and the gospel preaching church next door. If all they've ever had is the, the ritual church or the church that, that, that the only thing they've ever been exposed to is you know some of this this place they go on holidays and they go on uh, uh, you know the uh, certain special days or they might go to a wedding. The reason why they've never been confronted with the gospel is they've been going to the wrong church. They're not technically an unreached people group, but they often lack exposure to biblical preaching. I love that. Yeah, cultural Christians. It's not like they're unreached, meaning they never get around to church. But the problem is a lot of times they they don't get around a church that preaches the gospel a whole lot. And, and that, that sometimes can be a problem. There's not a lot of biblical, you know, always be leery if you're whoever's in the pulpit wherever you may be going to church. Be real careful if they'll do something like maybe one verse will come up on the screen, but they never really ever reference it again. Uh, or they're not really going through the Bible. Now, if you have a message that does not include the Bible, be real leery of that. Uh, you know, it, it, so so look for these kinds of things. Biblical preaching will always, if it, if you're preaching from the Bible, it can't help but confront you, and it it demands a response. Ignorance is not bliss when it comes to authentic Christian faith. Have you heard that before? Ignorance is bliss, and sometimes that 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 works in life because you're glad you don't know how bad things can be. But ignorance is not bliss when it comes to your salvation. Ignorance is death. It's not bliss at all. So don't let ignorance be something that stands in the way as well. Um, it causes people to miss the gospel altogether. Barriers such as belief, values, heritage, and rites of passage fuel the ignorance and allow for a religion to exist that claims Christianity, but not Christ. It claims Christianity, but it doesn't claim Christ. So as we wrap up today, you always have to do what? You, you have to ask the question, where do, where do I land in all this? I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Um, I know that I'm more than willing to help you because I, I am a recovering cultural Christian myself. Or if you have cultural Christians in your circle, uh, hopefully these are things that will help you to know what you're up against. And it can be quite difficult. Uh, but I have found that when one is confronted with what the Bible actually says, what it should look like to be a devoted follower of Christ who have been redeemed, the standard, as we've talked about here for over four years, is actually really high. And it's so high that it can only be achieved by true salvation. So let's bow our heads and, and let's ask God to, to reveal to us or maybe to reveal to the people that you're trying to work with that that day of realization is near. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today.
thank you for the opportunity to uh, to get into your word and to to discuss this uncomfortable topic about our cultural Christianity. Uh, I pray, Lord, that if there's people listening to this or watching this, that they'll have an experience like I had, where, where that day when I was confronted with who you really are, and I realized the version of you that I'd created was a false version of you. I pray, Lord, that um, that that there may be others that experience the same thing today, and then they'll take this opportunity and they'll and they'll, and they'll they'll get on their face right now, Lord, where they are. Uh, if they're driving, they'll do it when they get to a safe space, and they'll they'll get on their face and they say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I'm going to turn to 180 from my sin, Lord, and I'm going to turn to you. I do believe in my heart, and now I'll confess out loud with my mouth that you are Lord. And I will submit to your authority and release my own authority. And I will, Lord, turn from my sin, and I will turn to you. And I ask that you redeem me of my sins. And I do believe that your Father raised you from the dead with the power of the Holy Spirit on the third day. And I ask that that seed of God, that Holy Spirit, now be given to me to help me to be sanctified and grow. You're on record for how much you love me. I see that on the cross. But Lord Jesus, will you please teach me to love you? Because when I love you, then I'll begin to obey you. And I ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. If I can help you in any way, rick at rickandbubba.com. I look forward to talking with you again next week. Thank you for being with us. Hey, this is Rick, and that concludes this week's Bible study. Thank you so much for being with us. If you'd like to go back and hear other Bible studies, or maybe some that you've missed even in this series, you can find them by clicking the media button at burgessministries.com.